Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, what I consider enduring success. I picked up the phone, which was making a first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and then inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging. And the fifth choice I made was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. In this interview series, I get to get into the head and the heart of people who I admire and learn a little bit from them, their wisdom and lessons and insights as it relates to these five choices across their lives. And today I'm just honored and I just feel so special to have Dr. Sharisha Avendanula with us today. So just say hi really quick, Sharisha. Hello, I'm so happy to be here with you. So I have to tell everyone that Sharisha and I connected because my dear friend Jenny Geis works with Dr. Sharisha and it was probably about five or six months ago that Jenny things started going off in Jenny's head and she was like, oh, I have to connect the two of you. And not only do I need to connect you, but Trish is totally going to want you to be a guest on her Choose and Become series. And she was so right. So will you just start with, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. So first and foremost, I am so glad that Jenny connected us and I'm really happy to be here. As you said, my name is Dr. Sharisha Avadanala. I'm a board certified endocrinologist. I work at the Cleveland Clinic. I'm a clinical assistant professor of medicine for the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine. And I currently serve as the medical director for inpatient virtual health for the Cleveland Clinic Enterprise. I do a good amount of health and educational advocacy through a lot of different medical media contributions and through writing. And on a personal note, I grew up in Ottawa. I'm originally from Canada, and I have an incredibly supportive family. And I recently got married. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You <laughs> recently got married. Was it I just did. this year, right? It was just this year. It was actually just six months ago today. Oh, congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. So by all accounts, you have created incredible success in your life. The way you talk about your family, the way I know that you talk about your relationship with your husband, and obviously professionally as a caregiver. But I'm curious, what does enduring success mean to you? When I say create enduring success, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so I think that the best way that I can explain it Enduring success for me means the will to grow and success looks different for different people. It's, it's an individualized word. Success for me inevitably will look different than it does for you. Mm. And it changes over time. Success in my twenties certainly looks different than what I think success should look like in my thirties and what I foresee success to look like in my forties, fifties and beyond. You know, when I was in residency, maybe eight years ago now, 
success for me was going grocery shopping at the end of the week. So, <laughs> so that looks very different than what success looks like today for because me. Because you made it to the end of the week? Because <laughs> I made it to the end of the week. That was it. I made it to the end of the week and I actually managed to go to the grocery store. Yeah. So that was a success when I was in residency. And today, success looks very different for me. It, it means that I'm able to provide for my family. It means that I'm able to participate in uplifting my community and the people around me. It means that I pray more for gratitude than I do for pain. So success looks very different for me now than it does. And it's highly tied to my failures. And I think when we think about failure, a lot of us look at it in a negative lens, but I look at failure in a very instructive lens. I have learned so much more from my failures than I have from my successes, certainly. And through that, my definition of success has changed. It has grown and it's provided me with evolution of thought. And that's why enduring success for me means constantly having the will to grow. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. So I have a follow-up question based on one of the things that you just said. Yeah. Because I think it's insightful to think about our failures and successes. Do you do intentional reflection? Do you intentionally reflect on where you would say you did fail or you succeeded in order to then keep growing? I think every day. I think yeah. it's important for us to critically reflect back on our failures and reflect back on ourselves. And it's a hard process. It's like looking in a mirror is very difficult. That's why I think facing your family sometimes when you know you've done something wrong is very difficult because they're like a mirror for you. Mm-hmm. So when you when you look back, it's really important, I think, to, to self-reflect and critically analyze the situations you've been in so that you can learn something moving forward. and. I think a really simple palpable example for that is when we study for our board exams, we do a lot of practice tests. And if you do 10 questions and you get all of them right, that's not necessarily a good thing. If you get zero out of 10 questions right, so meaning you got all of them wrong, it gives you an opportunity to look back and to fill in the gaps of your knowledge that you previously did not have. That's the most simplistic Mm -hmm. example that I can think of, of critically reflecting on failures to move forward to build the gaps in your knowledge for success. And I'm going to have my 12-year-old daughter, Lily, listen to this little segment (laughs) when she gets home from school. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So timely. So timely. So I want to dive deeper into your journey to enduring success, to the will to grow. Uh, The first choice that I made on my journey to enduring success was to make a first choice. For me, it was to pick up the phone. And you know this, when my sister called me and I was 20, 21, and And just at the place where I did not think there would be another day. And I chose to pick up the phone and I learned that success begins with making a first choice. We all can make them. Nobody can make them for us. Now, since that day, I've made a whole bunch of other first choices. I'm curious, what's a first choice that you made that when you reflect you said this impacted my journey to where I am today. Actually, listening to your story has made Mm -hmm. me reflect back on a lot of the choices that I've made. And I think it really, I've, I've narrowed it down 
I think to two, just, you know, based on our, our conversation today, I, I think I made two critical choices in my life. And the first I made when I was a very little girl, the first choice that I ever made was to try to be the best version of myself always. Um, when I was young, I, I sang for, I, I started training in, in singing since I was maybe seven, seven years old. And I was in competitions since then. And being in these highly competitive environments for me provided me with a lot of, of discipline, which echoes and reflects through my life now. I was in a competition. I remember, I think it was, it was my first or second competition. And I remember vividly, I sang Summer Over the Rainbow. I can still remember that day. I sang Summer Over the Rainbow and I got a second place trophy. And my brother said to me, second place is the first loser. And and that, that, that sentiment. Little brother? Little brother? My older brother. I I have two older brothers. And my, my elder brother said to me, second place is the first loser. And in my mind, in my, in my seven-year-old mind, what that translated to was that my family thinks I can be the best. And from that day forward, I made a conscious decision to try to be the best version of myself that I possibly could. And 30 years later, that echoes in my life today. I make a conscious decision to work to the fullest of my potential, whether it's in my professional life or my personal life. So maybe a little bit of a harsh thing that my older brother said to me changed the trajectory of my life. And the second choice that I ever made was that I made a conscious decision to always ask for what I want. Statistically, as women, we tend to negotiate less. We tend to speak up less. We ask less questions and speak up during meetings less. And I am very, very fortunate to have a group of very strong women in my immediate family, some no-nonsense Indian ladies that always <laughs> tell me to go for what I want. And I, that decision, that choice for me has really helped me immensely in my journey I can just give you a very simple example. Um, You know, very recently I was up for salary negotiations and these type of conversations typically would be uncomfortable there. It's not something that comes naturally to me. And I remember my, my husband told me a quote recently. He said that, what did he say? He said, one of the best definitions of success is dependent on the number of uncomfortable conversations that you are willing to have. And I, I reflected on that quote and then I picked up my work bag and I went to negotiate my salary. <laughs> so <laughs> make it, those two, those two choices really, really have changed. I think the trajectory of my life and, you know, made me who I am today. I, appreciate those two choices and the stories that you lay on them. The story with your brother and how he said that your mindset, maybe your family helped develop this mindset and then you just innately also had the mindset, maybe the two things together, but your mindset was, I'm going to take that and I'm going to grow. It was was like a positive and you took it. And, and to like what you said, I think you said it changed the trajectory. It like really changed the trajectory of that's really amazing to have that mindset of I'm going to take this and I'm going to grow. Thanks. Yeah. I, I really only reflected on it 
throughout this conversation because of you. So I'm grateful to you. I'm grateful to you to take my memory back there. That is okay. So I'm going to keep taking your memory here. I want us to go to the second critical choice. Mm -hmm. So for me, the second choice that I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And this was an agreement between me and my big sister. She is the one that called the day that I picked up the phone. And then, uh, she swept me away, swept me away within 24, 48 hours. And I was living with her and her husband and her two small children. So it was very critical that we entered into this agreement for safety and, and constructive growth forward. The thing that she taught me, and then I want, I'm going to get to you. The thing that she taught me with this two-way agreement is that we all enter into them informally or formally. The power comes when we commit. And I experienced the, the transformation of, I have to do all these things to, I want to do all those things. And that's because my sister motivated me to commit to this agreement. So with that as backdrop and how I view two-way agreements, what is one or two two-way agreements that you've entered into, have committed to, and then perhaps what did you give and what did you get? Hmm. You're really making me think here. So I think the most relevant two-way agreement I've ever entered into was with my parents when I made the decision to go to medical school. So they co-signed my student loan. And for me, that provided me with a lot of accountability and the knowledge and realization of the sacrifice that they are making for me. So that in itself, failure in this context, being a negative thing in this context alone, was simply not an option. It was simply not an option because I, I knew that the sacrifice that they made for me was, had huge consequences. It's so, I was curious if there, if there was ever a point where you felt yourself veering off course a little bit and then the agreement brought you back or was it just like, I'm never going to go off course because this agreement and accountability is so strong and important. I think it's really natural to veer off course <laughs> and it certainly happened to me. I think it still happens to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I still ask myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? But <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean, I, it's not, you know, I think that, I think career paths are not definitive and, mm-hmm. and we view success in such a finite way. I don't, I don't believe that it's a Polaroid in time. These are continuums. They're ever changing. And, and for me, yes, I, I certainly had, had veered paths, which I don't, I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think anybody's path is really that straight. I think that there's a lot of different ways to get there. Um, But ultimately I got there. And I think veering from one path to maybe a little bit, you know, on the, on the sideline where that median is on the road, it, it forced me to, you know, it allowed me to learn about other things and it just opened up my mind to other things. So it wasn't such a bad thing. But I certainly would say that the accountability that I had for my parents did uh, veer me back kind of on on the track that I ultimately ended up on, um, which is now where I'm very happy. Um, but I think it's very natural 
for 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 people to explore other things and to yeah. question. I think it's actually very healthy to constantly question, am I happy? Am I doing the right thing? Do I belong? I think that's a very healthy process. Uh which is going to lead us to another of the of the questions. Um the third critical choice that I made on my journey was to build trust. So first and foremost I had to build trust within myself in order to inspire the trust of others. And when I went on this mini journey within my journey, because I love the way you articulate this, because I could not agree with you more with what you said about it's not a Polaroid. Success is not a Polaroid. It's a continuum. During this mini journey in my journey, I learned that if I did the little things great, great things would happen. And for me, the great was building trust. And so I want to explore trust with you. I want to explore it in two facets. First is the idea of building trust within yourself and then inspiring the trust of others. But can we start with the first building trust in yourself? And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think that if you were to ask me if I ever had moments where I did not trust myself or I had self-doubt, the answer undoubtedly is yes. And I think this is common. You know, you've, you've interviewed some incredible, incredible women along this series and you are so accomplished. And I'll bet that if I asked all of them, did you ever experience self-doubt or did you not trust yourself at moments? The answer would, would be yes. And yeah. I think your question is so important because it segues to an even bigger question. And the, I think the bigger question here is why do so many women have self-doubt? And this, I think, from what I've read and from mm -hmm. what I know, has been a learned behavior since we were very young, young girls. I was very alarmed to read some research recently that said girls as young as eight years old had a decline in confidence levels by somewhere around 30%. And even more alarming is that at a young age of six, girls report feeling that they are less smart than boys. They tend to report less that they are, quote, really, really smart. And what does this translate to? It translates to our young girls raising their hands less in class. It translates to them being more susceptible to succumbing to negative peer pressure and to not speaking up when things go wrong. And so this really is just the surface of what our society and what our cultural pressures look like. And even worse nowadays, compound that with the pressures of social media, yeah. which is really just a highly manicured version of reality. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on young girls to be perfect. And that translates a lot of the time to self-doubt. So I think it's important for us to teach our young girls, whether they be, you know, daughters like yours or my little, I have three little nieces. I was going to ask you, and yeah. how old are your nieces? Just so I have one, I have two nieces. They're both six. And then okay. my oldest niece is nine years old. So you, and, so when you're reading that study, you've got two, are, are the six-year-old twins or are they from other siblings? They're from other siblings, okay. from, from different siblings. Yeah. You have... Yeah two little six-year-old faces in your head and you have exactly. a nine-year-old face exactly. in your head. So this, like, it's real stuff. 
Yeah, this is this is very real. This is a reality mm -hmm. for us. Um, and I think it's important that we instill in them now, you know, to continue to raise their hand, even if they think they're wrong, that's okay. There's learning in that too, but to continue to instill the confidence in them so that they become confident, competent and compassionate young women. That's, that's what I hope to see. So I think that your question is such an important one because mm -hmm. it translates so well to, you know, women just all across all ages. So yeah, I, I, I think it's just such an important thing, um, that, that you're talking about here. Oh, and it's just already like this conversation motivates me even more for me to take a step back as a mom and take a step back in my relationship with my husband, Joe, as a father mm -hmm. to our 11 year old son and almost 13 year old daughter, Lily. And constantly reflect and be deliberate on what our actions show. You know, exactly. how how do we support and encourage and help Lily build trust? And how do we help and support and encourage Sam, you know, our son in the way that he's supporting other people around his community? Because let's just face it, you could get into the lather, rinse, repeat of the daily life cycle. And it is on us as these incredibly successful women across all of our lives to make that change and impact all of the lilies and everyone else around us. 100% so agree. Keep doing what you're doing. And and same. I mean, I think the onus really is on us. You know, mm -hmm. it's on it's on people like you that have incredible platforms to really spread that message and and you can make huge impacts. Uh let's go a little bit into inspiring the trust of others. How do you how do you inspire the trust of others? That's a great question. I think, so the way that I look at it is I look at it in how others inspire trust in me. So how, mm -hmm. how, I, how, how others inspire trust in me. Yes. And the, the way that I, I look at it is, you know, we're in these, we're in these fields and, and, you know, I being in, in medicine, I'm somewhere along the interface of medicine, technology, and business. I'll sit in these meetings, and when we develop programs, we we have leaders from, you know, various different fields come in, and, and we seek counsel from them, and we get their feedback on, on what they think of our programs before we have them go live. And I found that the most experienced leaders are the first people to say, I don't know. Hmm. And that inspires a tremendous amount of trust because when they say, I don't know, and they say, but I'm, I'm willing to help you find out, I'm willing to find out the information and come back to you. That type of humility inspires a huge amount of trust in me rather than somebody that really does not know the answer, but will just lead me you know, right. in the wrong direction. And especially when you're in a field like this, you rely heavily mm. on the data that's presented to you. So if you because are not- it, It's gotta be a, it's gotta be it's, like, cannot question it, right? Exactly, it is, exactly. And, and it's other people's lives. Exactly, exactly. That, that the stakes are so high. I mean, this is, these are, these are people's lives you're talking about. Yeah. So these, the stakes are so high. So your data and your information has to be bulletproof. And it really inspires trust in me when somebody is willing to say, hey, I don't know, I don't think this is right, but let me find out for you exactly what the facts are. And that's really what I try. I try my best to kind of 
emulate that type of humility. And I, I try my best to kind of emulate that. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to inspire trust in others as well. Wonderful. I'll take us to the fourth choice because you teed it up a little bit ago. Oh, did I? Okay. You did. And so it's the thread that I like to pull through is the idea of community and belonging. Because you are really, you as a human being in your professional and personal world, I know that you take the initiative to create community and belonging. And that was the fourth critical choice that I made. I was in my 30s and I was clean and sober. I had created more professional success than I ever thought that I could. I mean, for me, it was like, oh my God, I mean, this is, I have it. And I had emotional independence and financial independence that I was rocking. And I opened my eyes and heart and realized that I was friendly with everyone, but I was friends with no one. Mm. And it is the first time that, that I wanted to create, I wanted to be a part of a community. And I realized that in order to create it, you've got to give it. So I went on my other little journey to, to create community and belonging. Tell me, I want to start with, has there ever been a time in which you felt like you, you felt like you didn't belong? How did it feel? So certainly, yes, there has, there have certainly been times where I felt like I didn't belong. Just entering medical school with an artistic background, I had people around me that had PhDs and masters in clinical science and had very different interests and very different concepts of what I found fun. <laughs> so it was, a, <laughs> it, it was, it was a place where I didn't quite feel like I fit in. Mm -hmm. Also not having a huge amount of female mentorship throughout my medical career did inspire a little bit of that, you know, need to belong. Yeah. I can't talk about belonging without talking about residency. So I don't know how much you know about medical residency. Tell me, but no, it's give, like me they, give me like the lowdown. Let me give you the lowdown. They yeah. throw you in the trenches. Yeah. Okay? Okay. <laughs> you are, you are in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And you are working 100 hours a week, you are extremely tired, and your only sense of therapeutic sanctuary is at the Cheesecake Factory eating your feelings <laughs> with your two best friends. That is, that is really oh. your only therapeutic outlet. So it's a really tough time, and you cannot get through without your community. Within my residency class, I found my best friends who I made my community, who I made my family, and we carried each other. That community carried me. So today, you know, that those, those friends, those best friends that I made, they are a huge part of who I am and they remain a huge part of my story. And now fast forward to a part where I'm no longer in training and you're sort of ejected into the cold, quite literally, because I live in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> so you're sort of, you know, ejected into this, this world where you're an attending, you're kind of forced to find your path again. Hmm. And I was able to earn this, this role that I'm currently in that, like I mentioned, is really on the intersect of very different, vast fields. They're on the, it's on the intersect of medicine and tech and business. These are very, very vast fields. 
And when you sit in on these panels and these conferences, it's easy to feel like you don't belong because we all speak different languages in that sense. Mm -hmm. You know, an engineer will speak a very different language than somebody that's in clinical medicine. So initially, I, I used to I used to feel a little bit like, oh, my gosh, I don't really feel like if I belong here. But then I started to take a step back and I started to ask questions and I started to say to people, can you please explain this to me at a seventh grade level? And then and that's and that's what they did. And I found a huge that's... amount of value in that. And I became more and more comfortable within that discomfort. It just gave me an opportunity to expand my knowledge and to learn more. Mm. So I really. I actually really have found a sense of belonging in not belonging because it gave me the opportunity to learn. And ultimately, when you don't belong, it forced me to go out to network, to talk to so many different people and gather information to try to figure out, you know, where is it that I belong? Oh, and ultimately, on. I think you just really start creating your own path. And that's kind of that's kind of where I landed. And you experienced expanded your network and your reach, your ability to affect change because you made it a deliberate choice to create this sense. It's almost like cross-pollinating communities, <laughs> right? And you yeah, be, I, right? Yeah, I love, you know, I, I love that. One of the things in my life is that I kind of, I kind of view people in my life as like buckets, like this is my family bucket and this is my professional bucket yes. and this is my friend's bucket. Yes. But one thing that I love to do is I love to bring those buckets together. That's like one of my favorite things when mm. like life intersects like that. I think that's a very beautiful thing. I think so too. And it's interesting to me because I know that I've experienced the, um, oh, what if, like, what if this person doesn't really love this person as much yeah. as I do in this yeah. setting? Because I have the buckets. I think we all do. Mm -hmm. We all have our buckets. But the, but power comes with growth, and growth is is experiencing different people and different perspectives. And just like you were yeah. talking about, and how how better to do that, and also to be the one to create that opportunity for other people. And okay, so what if they don't like each other? What if something happens with Like, is that the biggest loss? <laughs> Fine. Exactly, exactly. Fine. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, uh, and I wanna make sure that I get it right because white coat remote, because uh, uh, I'm very intrigued with your initiative here because I think about that as how we can enhance community and belonging from, I think, from a care standpoint. Yeah. So White Coat Remote was born really for that reason. So we, during the pandemic, we had a lot of colleagues that were in surgical specialties that lost their jobs because they were procedural specialties and hmm. the elective clinics had just closed down. Yeah. They were either called into the hospital or they had simply just lost their job. In fact, I had a friend that what that is an anesthesiologist lost her job, couldn't find one for 3 months, had loans to pay and ended up being a bartender because she just wow. couldn't she just couldn't find anything. So we, you know, we sort of at the time my 
my husband, who was not my husband at the time, was a friend at the time, uh, we kind of came together and and we, we started getting all of these calls from different people just kind of simultaneously asking us, do you know of any opportunities? And we searched and searched and it, it didn't look like there was any one place where there were medical opportunities for, for telemedicine jobs. Yeah. And so we were kind of offhanded, piecemealing, telling people, oh, yes, I heard about this. And then we started becoming like this strange central hub for people to call saying, do you know about this job or have you heard about this job just through word of mouth? And so my my husband and his best friend, we kind of came together and then we created all we created this board where we, we put down all of the you know positions that were available throughout the United States for doctors, for telemedicine positions that providers just started going into and applying to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately we expanded it um, to all to all caregivers uh, within the medical field. So, you know, we have we have nursing positions available, dietitian positions available, but the point is one of our purposes to do this was that we really want to be able to retain talent within the medical field you know when just because clinics close down it it doesn't mean that a talented physician can't offer something to a patient we have patients everywhere that are in need of care so we saw this as an opportunity to one to retain talent and to really close that mismatch between you know the shortage in in caregivers and the need for care so that's how white coat remote was born and ultimately it has taught us a tremendous amount i was zero knowledge in business zero knowledge and really through this upward journey and this upward kind of battle if you will we had taken courses and things like marketing we had learned so much we had spoken to so many different people and i'm i'm really proud more of the knowledge that we've gained in in the last couple of years than than anything else it's Mm. it's been a really nice it's been a really nice time uh before we go to the fifth choice i want to round this conversation up with you including the example that you just provided you deliberately create community and belonging for yourself and for others so what does it feel like to belong Oh, that's such a good question. I was hoping maybe you could tell me. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. I I think, you know, I think it feels like home. I think that's what it feels like. I think that that's I think that's what we all yearn for. And I think that's why a lot of us are in these particular fields because we all yearn for a sense of belonging and for a sense of home. Mm-hmm. Um and and that that safe feeling is what you feel when you finally have that sense of belonging. It's safety. It's home. The fifth critical choice I made, if I can keep you for a little bit longer, the fifth (laughs) critical choice I made, well, let me even stop and I'll do a backup really quick. The the four choices that we just went through, Mm -hmm. thank you for your wisdom and your lessons and your insight for me. Those four choices were linear. So, you know, you were talking about success being a continuum, evolving, you know, changing. Couldn't agree. I mean, I experienced that completely. For me, those four choices were linear and prepared me for the fifth choice. And my fifth choice was to embrace my innate 
boundless capacity to give all of my love and to receive all of the love that you want to give me. It was the hardest choice that I made, but what I is, experienced is that that is enduring success, my enduring success. Wow. So I, you know, giving and receiving love, when I think about embracing love, there's love as an emotion, which isn't a choice. And then there's love as an action, as a verb, as a manifestation of giving and receiving, which is a choice. I would love to hear a story from you because I want your stories about a time where you deliberately chose to give all of your love. And how did that feel? I've never heard enduring success described that way. That's very mm. enlightening and very interesting. Um, you know, it, it actually makes me think a little bit about where I come from and what love means to me and the people that share my background. So I'll just give you a little bit, little bit of perspective. So for, for us, love and prayer is synonymous with service. So when we love boundlessly without condition, this is synonymous with service. And it's in the services that we provide to our community. It's in the services that we provide to our family, just unconditionally. And one of the best examples I've ever seen of boundless love is my husband traveling the world and donating his time to volunteer medical services to places like Haiti and to places like Mexico. This is one of the most palpable examples I've ever seen of boundless love, just giving that, giving that time and giving that service. And another, another way that I view boundless love is through giving your time and knowledge. And one of the best experiences I've ever had, or some of the best experiences I've ever had, I should say, is when I get invited to speak to middle schoolers. Oh! These are some of the best experiences I've ever had. Trisha, this is Lily. It's Lily. This right? is, yeah. And, he is and who you would be speaking to. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's just, it's, it's amazing. I've, I've been asked a few times, you know, to go to middle schools, to, to middle schools and, and talk to students about things like education and empowerment. And mm. the questions that they have are incredible. They are so difficult to answer some of those questions. And I don't think I have felt so fulfilled and so satisfied anywhere else. It, it's really been, th these experiences are tremendous. And, you know, in my, you know, short, humble journey, I have a long, long way to go. But, you know, in this journey, I feel very fortunate to have learned a couple of very valuable lessons. And one of the things that I love doing is mm -hmm. I love sharing those lessons with people for anybody that may need to hear it or that may be too afraid to ask. 
And you said something with your husband's example and just there with even going to the middle school. In both examples, I think you said you used the words what you got back, you know, what your husband got back, what you got back. Here you are giving yeah. boundless love, which begets bound, receiving boundless love. Like That's the magic. That's the magic. What you got from the middle schoolers probably far exceeds, right? Because it's like you gave and you got, and that's the magic of giving and receiving love. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the best thing is the expectation is nothing. It's just this self-fulfilling yeah. thing. You know, the expectation really is nothing. I think that's, I think that's, that's one of the keys to really giving boundless love is that you don't have the expectation to receive anything back, but you just do. You just do. And I know and acknowledge and appreciate that there are many, 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 many times in our lives, practical and profound reasons why it feels better to withhold, to just, just, to just give a certain amount or to not receive it all, whether that's safety or, uh, you know, fear of being hurt or you've been hurt before. And so I acknowledge that and I embrace it because we know that I have lived that. What Sharisha and I, I'll say this to the community out there, are asking you to consider is that when, when we choose to show up with the spirit of giving and receiving love, however that manifests itself, that is when I believe that is when we create enduring success and not just for ourselves, but for the people that are around us because they get to experience what that means and what that feels like. And if we started with my fifth choice, all of those other ones will naturally happen. Creating community and belonging, building trust, committing to two-way agreements, making first choices. Those are all manifestations of showing up in the spirit of giving and receiving. Teresha, you embody that. You embody it. And I feel so grateful that you gave your love to me today. I'm so humbled to be here. Thank you. Oh, so before we end, before we end, I usually end with just that, but I just, I will ask you, is there any one more thing that you want to give a shout out to, a message that you want to relay or, or a middle schooler that you want to speak to? <laughs> any one more thing. And if there's not, that is totally fine. I think that the only thing that I, that I want to say to anybody that may need to hear this is that education will always empower you. Hmm. Go seek it. The will to grow. You are awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share this with our communities. Together. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and I hope to talk again soon. Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose-become-interview-series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me trish at trishkendall.com.